Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. You know, if you think that the Australian regulators are um, heavy-handed and tough, then, you know, just wait till you meet, you know, the Office of Foreign Assets Control in the US or OFAC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have Naomi Burley from GRC Institute, our Managing Director, and Andrew Hamm, who is our AML and financial crimes expert from Lawyers on Demand. Hopefully I said that correctly. Um, so we're here finally, um, I think it's been a couple of weeks now, but finally to sort of discuss um, some of the key highlights from the AML Financial Crimes Congress, which we had at the end of June. Um, and I guess we could say it was a pretty interesting piece because it wasn't just about the traditional um, obligations. It was also looking a little bit beyond the the obvious regulatory obligations and some of those business risks that could pose some issues in the future. And I guess already, as we can see with the pandemic and some political issues on an international scale, that things can change quite quickly. So just to get started, Naomi and Andrew, um, give me a sense of some of the key highlights from the Congress. Thanks, Kwame. Um, I th- I would say there are a number of, of things that really stuck out for me as as highlights. Uh, one of those certainly is the, um, the continuing theme that we've seen from Austrac as well as other regulators about uh, the importance of governance. Uh, I'd say um, there's also and related to that the issue of um, how compliance is becoming quite a a more complex uh, science, if you like, in the sense that we are moving beyond simply having to address black letter compliance obligations to a next level, really a next level um, sort of um, assessment of um, the impact of um, various external events on business activities and there are a number of examples of that. One of them uh, was very much the sanctions issue, uh, as well as um, other areas of of business activity, such as fraud. And um, the the question that that one of the questions that came out of the discussion we had with Austrac about record keeping in these uh, COVID related time. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree, Andrew, that that was very much how it emerged out of the day. Um, And I guess that's what we've seen highlighted in both the CBA case and the Royal Commission in discussing um, the Austrac um, activity with CBA as well as the Westpac case is how can you skill up your board and have them thinking about these these things that are quite complex and up until this point in time have relied on AMLs and sanction specialists to deal with and sort of give reassurances to the board. Um, these are all very much external elements that act on your organisation as opposed to internal compliance matters that you have quite a degree of control over the conduct of your employees. It's a little bit more difficult when there are things happening outside in the world that you then need to rapidly comply with or adjust to or mitigate so yeah those those sort of emerged as as really big themes for me even when we did the sort of deep dive in those sessions into um really detailed AML practice around tipping off and around um your suspicious matters reporting and the technology you can use it was very much around 
collecting data and doing more intelligent things with data and having much more sophisticated conversations with key stakeholders like your board to have them making clever AML decisions in advance. Yes, indeed, Naomi. So it's really a, a learning process as you gain experience, both for the board and for the uh, for the map for management. Um, but the board needs to lead that and to ask the probing questions and really have be out the front um, with with uh, you know pushing to to capture to, to to work out what the learnings are to capture them and to and then for the business to be able to. Uh, if you like, reuse them, and um, the next time issues come up, be able to um, to benefit from what from that experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is a really difficult ask. And Kwame probably wants to ask another question now, but it, but it's a really difficult ask of boards to get up to speed with such a complex um, discussion, sort of discussions and and aspects around detailed things like fraud and sanctions uh, when there are quite a few people in organisations who rely also on specialists in those areas um, to know their stuff. So it's, it's asking a lot of boards, but that is what they're actually being asked to do. And so it, it sort of then falls back on, on the fin crimes area in your AML area because it sort of falls in that basket of things organisationally to brief them and get them up to speed. The events such as the Royal Commission have provided a lot of guidance for these issues that have always been there, but there's a lot more for boards to go on now in terms of guidance about what they should do. And Samantha Carroll, for example, quoted the Royal Commission um, in saying that, you know, boards cannot operate without the right information, which is obvious when you say it, but it's a really important lesson for boards considering their duty of uh, due skill, care and diligence. Uh, to, to really uh, keep that front centre. I really was just going to prompt that piece, actually. Um, so Samantha Carroll from Ash Street Legal, um, mm. sort of giving two sides of the conversation, which was, was interesting to me yeah. as coming from an outside, seeing that, yes, the board has oversight and responsibility, but they can only act on the inf information as it has been given to them and whether that information has been, I guess, prepared in a particular way so that they understand what are the critical issues from what from a risk management perspective can be pushed further down the list. Mm. Um, but also, I guess, looking at Patty Oliver's piece um, from AML experts, um, basically using that quote, which he admitted he didn't know where it was from, um, just reminding everyone that, you mm. know, it's compliance is not just a line item, is it from you? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so that's an interesting piece. Uh, so I guess the question then, if we continue on this theme of boards and this decision making, um, how can our GRC professionals help the board make better decisions or how can they better send reports to the board? Get them challenging and engaging with the information. Yes, well, I, I, I would say that there's, there's a couple of things you can, you can say here. It, there really is, um, firstly, a, uh, an underlying need to ensure that you have the right resources. And, you know, again, it's fundamental. And Samantha mentioned the um, need for a, a risk assessment, for example, to be done by a competent person uh, and to make sure that, you know, you've got the right skills to begin with. So it's, it's fundamental. Um, and again, that, that responsibility uh, begins and ends with the board. Um, the next thing would really to be sure that you have 
effective frameworks in place so that, that things can happen um, with, uh, with some degree of rigor and organization and you're not always, you know, reactive. Uh, I think then the, um, the third thing um, was really just about the voice, the voice of financial crime risk was uh, not loud enough in the, uh, in the, um, in the case of the CBA uh, inquiry. And ever since those, those, uh, th those reports were, have, have been made public, um, that sort of terminology I've heard a lot more. People talk about mm. the voice of risk, you know, the voice of compliance, and um, it's the, the the challenge is always to make sure that it's that it's uh, heard. It's something we perennially discuss, isn't it, Andrew? At every conference, we talk about how compliance can be heard and influence and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think what I'd like to see is some acknowledgement from directors that they aren't experts across this. So I think there's been an assumption in the past because all of these are very ex experienced business people, especially in whatever particular industry their organisation may operate in, that they will be the all-knowing, all-seeing. Um, whereas we're talking about risks that emerge external to your organisation and they're new. You know, criminals are doing new things that they weren't doing at the time when those directors might have been working in senior management in those kinds of organisations. So I think directors need to accept that they don't know all this stuff and that they should be um, inquiring if, not, if they can't yet challenge the view that's coming from their compliance and risk teams. And I think that's the missing. We have a lot of members complain that they send up a paper and it's not challenged. And, you know, what I often suggest is we'll put something in there that prompts an action or prompts a response. You must hear something back from them so that you know they've read it. But there's also um, this balance that I think they actually need to be briefed and supported and taught like your first line is about what these emerging risks are and it's that balance between you're not being patronising. These really are things that did not occur in businesses five to six years ago or whenever these people worked in senior management and saw things that went on. Again, Sam's three main takeaways from her, from her uh, talk, which were really about board training to equip them with the, uh, you know, the skills that uh, you know, they need to discharge their duties. Uh, the importance of articulating a risk appetite and implementing it and the um, need for boards to more actively challenge um, what they're being told by management and to hold management accountable. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does help. And I think, I think there's an opportunity as well that the reporting that goes up to the board isn't all reactive or compliance monitoring reporting. Some of it is, this is a briefing from Austrac, you know, and this is what we're trying to do with the white paper that's going to come out of this event as well. This is what the regulators are saying at the moment we need to be on the lookout for. So when you are making strategic business decisions, have this in the back of your head that people are behaving this way and they are targeting organisations to use them for their criminal um, ends if they allow weaknesses like this to, to happen in business products or systems or, you know, if, it, if an opportunity arises. And, and that's very much in the sanctions line. If your business is investing a whole lot of money in entering into China and the US, you might want to step back and have a think about that right now. Um, 
so, so some of it is a strategic briefing and some of it is reporting on how, how, you're, how you are mitigating those internally and how you're looking after that stuff. But I think um, that might be a way in to be heard is having them understand that this is the kind of stuff that they'd be hearing in their SWOT analysis. What are the, what are the potential risks coming in from externally to your organisation from a business operational sense? This isn't just the regulators saying this is the law. This is the regulator saying, this is what the bad people are up to. So I feel like this might be a natural segue into the discussion on SMRs and reporting to the board in the first place. Um, so we talk about giving the board better information, which means that, of course, when it comes to the compliance professional's job, they need to be on that sort of from the risk assessment onwards to the reporting to the regulator and that kind of thing. So how can we improve our, I guess, our internal AML compliance programs from that SMR perspective and that threshold transaction perspective or whatever else is required. Kwame, I think there are a couple of things that, that came out of the, the, uh, the Congress and generally. One is, as we touched on before, the importance of learning from your past uh, experience and, you know, to take sus suspicious matters as an example, uh, there uh, there's a lot of judgment involved in, in working out what is a suspicious matter and the, the uh, as Naomi said, the, the techniques that are used by the bad guys are continually evolving. So there needs to be uh, a, a way, a mechanism for the front line that, that, you know, deal with customers to see and understand these ever-evolving typologies and techniques and to pick them up so that they can be um, assessed further. There needs to be an ability to capture the, the learnings from these events as they happen uh, and what you know might seem initially at face value, for example, in one particular case that perhaps more or less randomly gets um, taken through the the um, the assessment, you know, might might seem quite innocuous to begin with, but someone's, you know, detected something potentially concerning and taken it further, and you know, one thing leads to another, and you can then learn from that uh, going forward. Equally, the other way, a a quite um, concerning pattern of uh, behaviour might turn out to be quite. Um, quite acceptable once you have a little bit more information. So once you've, once you've begin, you can develop your own typologies, I suppose, as a business and mm -hmm. make the whole suspect matter reporting process a lot more efficient uh, and effective too, if, um, if you can capture learnings without um, including too much detail and, you know, having risks of, of, of tipping off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what Andrew and I were discussing in advance of this, and I think it has, was highlighted in that presentation around the, the subtleties around tipping off and your suspicious matter reporting and whether it's good intelligence, all of that stuff needs to be on a continual improvement cycle. So push your experience back into um, and your observations and your data and use it really constructively within your organisation. Don't, don't keep operating from the same baseline of a very simple definition of what it might look like, particularly for particular customers. If they're a high-risk customer, you, you might refine up 
um, the material and the data and the information you collect around them so that you understand um, what's normal behaviour and, and it could be quite a subtle shift for them. So I think it's, it's um, using your data more effectively and making sure it is actually used as opposed to just stored somewhere and pulled out when you've got to put together the SMR and the organisation never does anything with that information. Make sure you're using your own organisation's data and information you have about customers really, really effectively um, and, and put back in your own experience as you accrue it about what looks normal and what doesn't look normal and make yourself available to first line and help build up their skill set in that, I think, as well. And, and I, keeping on that theme of next level, I mean, obviously we had Gavin Coles from Casco um, sort of discussing sanctions and the complexity of sanctions is one of these areas that organizations have to be aware of. But I mean, I would imagine this is a slightly non-traditional space for those sort of AML skills. So how, you know, with the political situation as fast moving and as volatile in some cases as it can be, how, how can organizations and risk and compliance professionals stay on top of this piece? Like, where do they get their information from, you know? <laughs> Indeed, that's that's an excellent question, and uh, there are many many organisations that try to take the prime take the primary uh, information from DFAT, and uh, you know the um, there's a there's a, a a document that DFAT has on its website called the Consolidated List, which is just an enormous spreadsheet of all the names and uh, countries that are sanctioned, and tries to eyeball them, and you know it's just it just doesn't work. Um, there's, there's a lot of a lot of people with um, uh, with very similar names that are um, sanctioned and um, or not sanctioned. If uh, so, you know you wouldn't. Uh, it, it can be a small detail that turns a, a false positive into a uh, or that makes a that makes a positive mm. a false positive. So mm. I guess what I'm what I'm getting to is that it's um, quite important to have a combination of um, a human being with the ability to make judgments and think things through as well as a platform to process the enormous amount of uh, detailed information that happens and is constantly changing in the sanction space because as Gavin highlighted for us it's really not just Australia that matters there are many uh, other jurisdictions where um, Australian ac business activities can quite easily be impacted. You know, the notable ones being uh, the UK or the EU, rather, and mm. the US. Mm. Absolutely. So it is, it's, it's one of those areas where you need to be, you do need to be proactive. You do need to be reading everything that comes across um, uh, with that particular slant on it, I guess. And having someone dedicated to doing that is a huge bonus. But if that happens to fall in your line of duties you know the it's it's about watching the the players happening and then knowing when you should probably check on that but it's like a lot of things in the financial crime space this is an ongoing evolving risk assessment as opposed to a nice comfortable one that you can do annually and <laughs> just come revisit and tweak a couple of things this is this is an active item Indeed, as and Gavin had an example, I think of Venezuela, didn't he, Naomi? Where you know, within within six months, it went from something that that was there, but not you know, very few people really uh, cared about, or you know, that it, it really didn't impact, to being to being front and centre. 
and uh, you know the same may be happening for us now with um, with events in in China and and Hong Kong, um, so that it's you know sanctions for most of the business community outside of uh, the AML um, area, even you know reporting entities is really usually something that is a um, it's a very big blunt instrument, and if you breach them, it's extremely bad course but it's extremely unlikely mm. for most of us and the, the potential is that that's rapidly changing if events in the US can um, make the um, uh, can impact Australian businesses with US operations which they will uh, and or any links to China or Hong Kong so could very easily go from being a remote possibility that isn't really needing to be thought about to being something that you do very much need to think about. And once it becomes that much of a strategic issue for a business, that's when you need to start to think about getting some technology mm. to help. Because mm. as I say, you can't hope to keep up um, just by sheer uh, brand power alone. You need some, um, some computing, you know, some sort of platform and some, some IT help to sort and uh, to sort and prioritise the enormous amounts of information that come through on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think that was something you highlighted when we were preparing for this podcast, um, Andrew, that there's the overlap with AML, there's the reporting bits and the customer level stuff, but then there's also this strategic piece. So sanctions sits in a funny little area in the in the organisation. Um, there's no guidance. It, it's something that you need to just get yourself across and, and familiarise with um, both from a strategic and from a customer level. And so, you, yeah, you've got to be sort of juggling quite a bit in this space. Yeah, so global industries think of themselves and, and are, are well, well and truly on top of, you know, their sanctions risks. But if you think of yourself as a totally domestic business, there can be uh, sort of uh, many ways in which you are impacted by sanctions in other countries without realizing it so you know all um, thinking of things through and as a and have a board that is challenging and and um, really tr forcing the pace in terms of keeping on top of those keeping on top of those matters because uh, you know if you think that the Australian regulators are um, heavy-handed and tough then you know just wait till you meet yeah. you know the Office of Foreign Assets Control mm. in the US or OFAC, um, who are you know don't don't take prisoners. And I'm glad you mentioned um, IT and computing power because obviously we did have a presentation from a RegTech, um, Jade Third Eye, um, sort of giving I guess what seemed like some practical steps that one can take mm. to sort of sort of bring technology into your program effectively, um, but of course still requires you to have effective risk assessments and put the right data in. Um, but I mean, is there a sense that with all these things that we've discussed that um, organizations have to keep on top mm. of that more and more there is an understanding that we need this technology and you know what what's happening in the technology space that you've seen from your end? Look, I think um, I think that's that's fair. There uh, there is there is ever more uh, change to keep on top of, particularly in, in the regulated industries and you know where I spend a lot of time in financial services, for example. And it's, um, you know, uh, 
regulators are getting more assertive and you can no longer um, really uh, get away with a with a, a response where you know that you might have have you know accept accept that mistakes were made and um, you know apologize and move on I think that those days are over um, as as we know ASIC now has an approach of why not litigate and so that um, really ups the stakes in terms of the um, margin for error as a regulated business and so um, the there are also I suppose issues of of resources as um, in terms of finding good compliance and risk people and I've had many many conversations with clients who have um, who have lamented that the banks have hoovered up um, everybody that is any has any experience at all and are paying them a lot more than mm. than this client can afford to pay them so it's uh, it's an ongoing uh, issue and technology is really improving all the time as well um, I've spoken to another number of um, platform platform providers Lexus Nexus uh, as we know provides content and so there really is I think a growing partnership approach between um, if you like content partners technology partners and um, uh, implementation partners if you like that will make these platforms work for you uh, yeah I couldn't agree more that's been a major improvement over the last three years I've seen with the the ability to combine all all of um, what once upon a time were was a tech solution that solved one singular problem they all are working much better together to be able to integrate so that you can solve several problems um, using the same set of data and, and free up your time to do things. So that's been a massive improvement from what I can see from the outside. Yes, we've talked about the links before, Naomi, about mm -hmm. some of the operational risk areas like fraud and, and AML and so on. And these platforms do very much help now with connecting those dots. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, I think um, it's going to become you know, a necessary part. And, and as they become more affordable, it will be great for the smaller entities to be able to engage actively with some of the tech solutions because they're juggling the same balls that the big organisations are trying to do. And like we we're saying, trying to even be across sanctions um, and the big picture view of that or the new typologies emerging from Austrack or when you've got to adjust a rule, all that kind of stuff. If you were trying to do that or manually with training and, and roll that back out or even just reporting your data back to Austrack, you could spend all your time just doing that and, and not get to be strategic about your um, financial crime compliance. So I think there's an opportunity for tech to take some of that, that sort of stuff. It is getting more sophisticated and the people developing some of these tools are experts in this field. So that certainly helps because they've come at it from, you know, the practitioner's point of view. Um, and, and so I think it will... I think it will become necessary in order to free your time up to do that really clever analysis and and risk mitigation problem solving if you know because that that can take a lot of time figure out how you're going to allow the business to keep operating um, doing what it wants to do without exposing you to those obligation risks yes i think it is really false economy to to in most cases to say oh we're too small we don't need you know a a system um, there are, uh, given the time, as you say, that, that you spend trying to do it manually and 
the additional risks that you introduce by with that approach. There are many, many offerings around now in terms of these um, GRC, you know, governance, risk and compliance systems mm. uh, from from the all singing, all dancing ones that wash the dishes and put out the cat, you know, that the banks use through to some quite small cost effective uh, bottom line, you know, systems that are really uh, totally scalable. So you can, um, it could be very much right size for a, for a smaller organisation. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the image of um, the, the dishwashing and <laughs> things that are really stuck I know, in we, we all um, got distracted by that. It's like, oh, good. I <laughs> uh, want that one. Um, so saying that, you know, everything sort of, you, you put all these processes in place, you've got your board engaged, um, um, you've done the right kind of risk assessment, um, you've reported in the right way, and you discover that there is a breach um, and there's a potential... Um, love letter from Austrac to use Andrew's words from the the Congress um, you know Naomi, Naomi Fink from Holly Nethercote sort of discussed in detail what's the best way to respond to Austrac once they once you know once this happens so I guess we could just deal with some of the core principles of how should an organization react um, to maintain the trust of the regulator certainly Kwame and I think that that uh, trust is the word which which Naomi used as well. That uh, you you need to really think of uh, uh, as far as possible. The regulator is not the enemy. Um, it is it is it is a relationship and a legitimate stakeholder like any other in your business. And so the keys really are to have a plan. You know to take the notice um, as a um, uh, if you like as a as a red flag to. Um, work out what has happened, um, perhaps, uh, and and to be as honest with yourself as possible about what um, uh, what the issues are that might be behind the notice. You need to um, really, um, in terms of regulatory relationships and liaison, be my view is that uh, you should be as open and transparent as you can. Which doesn't mean you, um, you know, cut your own throat and confess um, immediately. It does mean, though, that you are open um, if there are issues that you can't defend, that you don't try and defend them. Um, you remain open to always. You would you would certainly make your case for why uh, the issues are perhaps um, not um, not fatal, um, or you know. You make you put the best um, you, you put your best foot forward, um, but then you always would leave the door open for Austrac to come back with with its views um, if it may feel differently. So you would you would uh, really what Naomi was talking about was doing your homework, making sure you know what is um, what has actually happened and how big the problem is, uh, making uh, presenting all of that to Austrac, but then most importantly giving them a plan for how you plan to fix it and mm. the focus of any of these regulatory responses is always on remediation that's the thing austrac is going to be most interested in too and so um you would uh always try and be as um, fulsome as you can in terms of uh the remedi your remediation plans give them some commitments in terms of timing and stick to them 
Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think one of the other, the other key points and the reason why we asked um, Naomi to speak on this point is that Austrac is being a lot more active and so they are sending a lot more affectionate letters to, um, to entities. And so it's not a time to sort of bury your head in the sand or freak out or, or whatever, but, you know, to appropriately let your compliance and risk um, committee or your board, whatever's appropriate for your organisation, know that this is going on and have that discussion around what needs to happen and what extra resources might need to be put into this um, activity as well. And, you know, some entities are getting these orders for the first time. Uh, so it is a little bit of a shock to their system and that's again why we had the session that don't panic read the letter understand what they're actually asking of you and open up a dialogue um, as Andrew said you don't have to say oh okay we did a bad thing you don't have to you don't have to jump into that you have to get an understanding of what objective Austrac is trying to achieve through the letter um, and then take the appropriate action so I've heard I've heard the um, the head of the AM, of AML for one of the big banks talk talk about, you know, the power of the data that they collect on a daily basis for for all their customers. You know, when when you have a credit card and a home loan and you know a suite of banking products, and you know someone buys a, a you know has a credit card and buys some foreign exchange, um, you know buys an airline ticket to you know let's say a third world country with um, that might be a high risk jurisdiction and you know the banks know the geography of these parts of the world and they can literally mm. you know follow a person's progress after they get off the plane through where they use the credit card you know as they make their way to um, I don't know to to join ISIS um, and the frustration for Austrac is that you know the banks have this information um, and uh, if it isn't shared then um, it'll never get used. Mm. Right, right. Well, I think we will um, wrap up this podcast, but I thought it'd be good to get maybe from each of you um, just some final comments and, you know, what what advice do you have for risk and compliance professionals in this AML space that seems to be rapidly changing? Advice. Uh, I think my advice for... Um, professionals in the AML space would be to to um, not get complacent same advice as for boards that that uh, to basically take the um, principle from the uh, standard on compliance programs to heart about continuous improvement um, my piece of advice, which is typical GRCI advice, is that, uh, you know, probably for someone who works in AML or financial crime, your uh, professional development reading rate is probably needs to be triple that of, of, um, of other compliance professionals because this changes all the time. And, um, you know, so a, a daily visit to the Austrac website, you know, reading the newspaper, keeping track of all, all kinds of things that might come within your remit um, and investing in yourself, attending, you know, events like this, any kind of webinar you can get on what the latest intelligence is from different regions and um, to not think only uh, uh, Australian-centric as well. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.